Hello and welcome to Women Health First, bi-weekly public health information and promotion series. I am Nahila Ayeva, public health analyst and educator and the founder of Women Health First. And with me today is Don Anderson, our executive board, the chief marketing and communication officer, who will be hosting today's section as Dr. Mohammed present this important topic, which is a high blood pressure, know the facts. Well, um, Dawn? Okay, seems like she still have a problem joining, a technical issue in here. Well, we're going to go ahead and introduce uh, Dr. Mohamed, and uh, hopefully Dawn will join us later. Dr. Mohamed is an international special need consultant and coordinator of family mentoring for Emory MPH program. Prior to joining the Emory program, Dr. Mohammed participated in a Georgia leadership education in a neurodevelopmental disability program representing the discipline of a family advocacy and medicine. In addition, Dr. Mohammed worked as a medical doctor in a family practice in Nigeria where she received her Bachelor of Medicine and a Bachelor of Surgery degree in 2006 from Amadou Bello University in Zahria. Dr. Mohamed is currently enrolled in a master's degree program from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health here in the United States of America. Furthermore, Dr. Mohamed is our board member and serve as a Vice President of Public Health Education. Please welcome our beloved sister, Dr. Ramatu Muhammad. Thank you so much, um, Sister Nahila, for a very warm introduction. Um, good afternoon, good evening, good um, morning, wherever you are joining in from across the world. Um, I'm here to tell you about um, hypertension just um, know the facts about it. Um, let me go to, to the overview. So um, hypertension is a serious medical condition and it can increase the risk of heart, brain, kidney, and other diseases. Um, it is a major cause of premature deaths worldwide um, with an upward of um, one in four men and about one in five women with over a billion people um, having the condition. Um, the burden of hypertension is felt disproportionately amongst um, low-income um, and developing countries and middle-income countries. And um, less than one in five people have it under control. So this is like a broad overview from the World Health Organization showing the distribution of um, hypertension based um, on regions. You could see that in the Americans, about 18% of people have um, hypertension while in places like Africa, it has the highest, which is 27%. This is when you look at um, the global impact of um, hypertension. So one thing about hypertension is that most people with it don't know they have it. Um, I brought this slide up because most of our target population for this presentation are women. So about one in five women have hypertension. Um, hypertension could actually present asymptomatic. Um, usually you see symptoms when you're really having like a hypertension. 
So um, let me go ahead and define what hypertension is. So um, this term hypertension could also be referred to as high or raised blood pressure. And it is a condition in which the blood vessels have persistently raised pressure. So what happens is when the heart pumps blood, the, the arteries take the blood round the body. When, when it pumps and there's resistance in the arteries, there's so much pressure in trying to push the blood around the body. Um, okay. Know your numbers. So what, what, what are the numbers? What, what classifies someone as having hypertension? So um, the first thing you need to know is that sometimes there's a slight variation on the exact, depending on who you're seeing and the professional, there is a range. And that is what I'm gonna show you in this table. Um, one is considered to have a normal blood pressure when they have a blood pressure less than 100. The systolic, that is the one above less than 120 and the diastolic less than 80. And they're considered to have an elevated pressure, um, blood pressure if they have 120 to 129 of the systolic and less than 80. So when a doctor is telling you this, they're going to say your blood pressure is like 120 over 80. So the first stage where someone is pronounced to have hypertension is when the blood pressure is between 130 to 139 systolic and then 80 to 89 diastolic. And um, we don't just take one reading to classify someone as having hypertension. The definition says persistent. So you have to check the reading more than once. If it keeps persisting, then you could be classified as having high blood pressure because so many things could make the blood pressure go up like stress or sudden anxiety or sudden panic could make it shoot up. So that's why we don't measure it one time and say someone has hypertension. It has to be persistent. So stage two high blood pressure is when you have above 140 and the diastolic is 90 or higher. So um, this is considered stage two hypertension. And then there's a situation called hypertensive crisis, which needs you to consult a doctor immediately. And this is when the systolic is above 180 millimeters of mercury over 120, when the diastolic is 120 millimeters of mercury. So um, what we use to check the blood pressure is called a sphygmomanometer. And then we have the digital ones and we have the ones that use the mercury, that's the um, manual ones. Um, Okay. So what are the risk factors of hypertension? Um, obesity is one of the major risk factors. Diabetes. Being pregnant is actually a risk factor for developing hypertension. Um, sedentary lifestyle, um, social habits like cigarette smoking or alcohol consumption, and a major, major is stress. We will not overemphasize that because um, stress causes a lot of um, hormonal cascades that could cause um, blood pressure. So um, just because again, my target population is women here. So I'm going to go in a little in-depth on hypertension in pregnancy. So um, a woman that is pregnant could already have chronic hypertension. So she is pregnant and she already is a hypertensive person um, or has hypertension as a condition. Um, we have pregnancy induced hypertension which is also known as gestational um, hypertension, sorry. 
sorry, I'm calling diabetes gestational hypertension. So um, this one, a woman that is pregnant and develops hypertension that persists during pregnancy is um, that, that type of hypertension is called pregnancy-induced hypertension. Then we have chronic hypertension happening in pregnancy, as I had mentioned earlier, with superimposed preeclampsia. I'm going to talk about it later, then you understand what preeclampsia is. So preeclampsia is, again, when somebody has hypertension, whether pregnancy-induced or chronic hypertension, and presents with with or without protein in urine, but with other constitutional symptoms. Um, this is a, a, a serious situation in pregnancy that leads to some complications, which I will talk about on the next slide. Um, another thing that happens in pregnancy, um, a presentation of hypertension could even be full-blown eclampsia. And eclampsia is a situation where there is preeclampsia with CNS manifestation, that is central nervous system manifestations like seizure. So, um, Risk factors associated with hypertension in pregnancy include um, intrauterine growth restrictions, which is due to decreasing blood flow to placenta, because as I had mentioned, um, the blood pressure goes up or one is known to have hypertension when there's this resistance in the way the blood passes through the arteries when the heart pumps the blood. So you can imagine already that the arteries are not letting the blood flow talk less of letting it get down to the placenta. And um, once the baby is having insufficient supply of blood to the placenta, which leads to the um, which takes blood to the baby, there is a chance that the growth of the baby would be restricted. Um, again, high blood pressure could lead to premature delivery. And this could be in the case where somebody presents with preeclampsia or eclampsia, and then the baby has to actually be delivered early. Sometimes when you have severe um, cases of intrauterine growth restrictions, also we may have to deliver the baby early. And sometimes a lady could just go into premature labor just because she has high blood pressure. Another thing that could happen is what we call placental abruption. So this happens where the attachment of the placenta to the uterus um, breaks up open, like it, it separates. And once it separates, there will be collection of blood there. Obviously it will lead to lack of enough blood supply to the placenta, to the baby, and as such um, would compromise the life of the baby. Then um, in, in hypertension, also in pregnancy, there's risk to injury to other organs, um, just as normal, um, straightforward chronic hypertension could cause injuries to other organs. It could also be a presentation in a woman that is pregnant. And then there's also the risk of future cardiovascular disease. When I say cardiovascular, I'm talking about the heart, which another name for the heart is cardio and vascular is the blood vessels. So um, when I say future cardiovascular disease here, I mean that um, there could be heart failure, there could be um, myocardial infarction from the insufficient supply of blood to the heart. Myocardium is the muscle of the heart. So I have to try and remember that I have to break everything down. So myocardium is the muscle of the heart. And when you don't have enough blood supply to it, there's what we call myocardial infarction, which means there is a dead death or, or insufficient supply of blood that supplies the muscle of the heart that will now make the heart pump agitatedly. Um, okay. So um, this is a big slide. It has a lot of information on there. 
Um, our presentation is targeting prevention. So I'm not going to go too much into details about the medications used or drugs used to treat hypertension. But I just wanted to highlight that not every medication used in chronic or um, hypertension could be used in a pregnant woman. So we have different classes, which I would just mention a few. We have the diuretics, which is good in African-Americans. We have um, the ACE inhibitors. We have, um, that's angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors, and we have beta blockers and the rest. Um, in hypertensives um, that are pregnant um, or pregnancy-induced hypertension, there are some medications that we avoid and then there are some medications that are safer during pregnancy. Example of safe medications are the methyl dopa, another name for it in Africa is Aldamet. Um, or here, um, we have the selective cardio selective beta blockers. These are the atenolol. Um, I think those are one of the, uh, the few common ones that I use. I know a lot of people use uh, methyl dopa or atenolol. While we don't give other medications, like um, we don't wanna give, um, diuretics because it increases risk of fetal wastage or placental infarct or miscarriages or stillbirth. So I would move on. Um, after the presentation, we would make available the slides if anybody wants to look into this slide forever. Um, I wanted to also highlight this, whether pregnant or not, we have what we call the high blood pressure crisis. And um, this is a situation where I, from the table, if you could remember, I had mentioned when somebody has a reading of 180 over 120, that is 180 milligrams, um, millimeters of mercury for the systolic and 120 millimeters of mercury for the diastolic or greater. And um, this could present with associated symptoms that um, signify um, target organ damage. This could be chest pain, shortness of breath, back pain, numbness, weakness, a change in vision or difficulty speaking. So. Um, the crisis are divided into two. There's what we call hypertensive urgency and there's what we call hypertensive emergency. So um, in hypertensive urgency, it means it is urgent. Um, you need to consult your doctor. But what happens here is that the blood pressure is higher or um, is at 180 over 120 millimeters of mercury or greater. And then you do not have the associated symptoms. Um, when you see that, you wait five minutes and try again. If you're still getting that high level, you need to consult your healthcare provider. And this, after the consultation, the healthcare provider may not, will not hospitalize anyone, but they would adjust medications or add medications and rarely may require hospitalization in case there are other things, maybe pregnancy, for example. Um, Hypertensive emergency, in this case, one would have those high values and would be experiencing the symptoms I had mentioned, which are, again, chest pain, shortness of breath, back pain, numbness or weakness, loss of vision, uh, or difficulty speaking. So um, in this case, you should not wait for the pressure to come down on its own, you need to call 911 in cases where this is available or need to head to the emergency room if you are if you do not have like, um, because I know my audience uh, from all over the world. So I have to clearly say that I know some um, environments or um, countries do not have those um, facilities. So you would need to present yourself at the 
emergency room when needed, um, when, when you have this type of um, raised blood pressure. So complications of hypertension. As I had mentioned, when I was talking about um, the hypertensive um, crisis, I had mentioned that you could have end organ damages. And that is why hypertension is very serious. It could be there for a long time and people wouldn't even know they have it unless they do like a yearly physical. But um, when, when, when it's been there for a while, it could cause complications in like the heart, the brain, the kidney or other places. Um, this is a diagram showing how it could cause um, the different organs it affects. So when it affects the heart, it could cause heart disease, it could cause heart attack or heart failure. So um, I, don't, I will not go too much into it, but angina um, is also another thing, is a term for unstable chest pain. Um, another thing it could cause is a stroke. So the blood is pumping against restricted arteries or against our, a lot of pressure, um, we could have um, a stroke where there could be a rupture in the blood vessels. Um, it could also be lack of um, the blood supply because um, enough blood supply to the brain through infections could also cause um, a stroke. There could be loss of consciousness or memory loss from chronic hypertension. Another thing that it could cause is kidney complications. And this could be presented as a renal failure, which is chronic, usually chronic renal failure comes from hypertension. And then also there could be damage to the eyes as an end organ or the kidneys. Then um, it could also, as I had mentioned for the cases of women, could present with eclampsia and then it could also cause um, pulmonary edema. Um, let's go to the next slide. Um, so um, the crux of the matter, why are we here? We are here because we want to promote um, ways one could prevent getting hypertension. And um, the, the key points I wanna discuss are on the six headings, which is one, physical activity. Um, physical activity here, I mean that one should at least walk. So as I was saying, um, we recommend if people could, um, have at least 30 minutes a day of physical activity up to five times a week. Um, this has, seen, has been seen to reduce the chances of developing hypertension or help with control of blood pressure. Um, another thing is eating a healthy diet. Um, this includes a healthy diet with vegetables, equal proportions of um, different food components um, that in the right amount that could help um, um, prevent hypertension. Another thing that is key here is limiting sodium salt. And in this case, um, what sodium does is that it increases water retention and therefore increases the volume of the blood in circulation. And then this causes more work on the heart to pump that high volume of blood in the system. Um, another thing is also alcohol has been seen to predispose to hypertension. So if you are having a healthy diet and limiting alcohol or not taking it at all, preferably, then um, it could be a, a preventive measure. Another thing is keeping a healthy weight. So there is what we call um, body mass index where um, it's, it, it measures the, the body's um, height um, in proportion to the weight a person should have, like a standardized um, reading. And when you have that, um, a body mass index that is within 
what is called non-obese because once you get to the obese and then go higher, it predisposes you to hypertension. If you can remember when I discussed the risk factors, one of the risk factors of hypertension I mentioned earlier was obesity. Um, managing stress. So if you are going through a lot of stress, there is um, stress hormones that are released and this stress hormones increases blood pressure. And when you have been undergoing stress for so long, you could develop hypertension. Um, getting enough sleep could not be overemphasized because um, if you don't sleep well, there are also some hormones and um, stresses that could predispose you to having hypertension. Another lifestyle is smoking. Smoking has a ton of effects. If we're going to go deep into it, we would spend the whole day talking about what smoking does to the system. But smoking affects the integrity of the blood vessels. It affects the integrity of um, so many things in the body. Um, with, and then also nicotine, part of um, the substances in regular cigarette also uh, all predisposing factors to blood pressure. And this is a diagram of a cute little lady um, showing you, you know, sometimes visualization helps people to remember things. So take a look at it. It talks about all the points I have just discussed and um, probably would make people remember easily. Um, then there is this um, code that health, um, World Health Organization came up with. It's also all about um, management of hypertension. And it used the term HATS um, as an acronym to, to see um, for people to, to easily remember what is needed in a management, like a total management of hypertension or prevention of hypertension. So if one has hypertension, um, healthy lifestyle and counseling helps evidence-based treatment protocol. What we mean here is that there are medications that have been proved to, to control or cure um, or bring down the blood pressure to what is an acceptable limit to not cause end organ damage. So if you visit your healthcare provider, they usually would use an evidence-based treatment protocol to help you control your blood pressure. And then also, not only visiting the doctor, you have to have access to essential medicines and technology. Technology means like, for example, here in the US, you could walk into a store and they have um, blood pressure checking um, stations where you would just check your blood pressure. Um, you would, if you compare such um, person living in these developed countries to someone living in a rural area who probably has never even have had access to what a blood pressure measuring um, apparatus is. So, um, so we have to bring this up. Access to essential medicines and also the technology um, also helps um, prevent um, hypertension. Then there is what we call team-based care. So ideally, um, the, this management of hypertension should be team-based. And then there's also systems monitoring where we're monitoring people that have um, hypertension um, to be able to see the impact of hypertension, just as I had mentioned in my overview, that more than a billion people are living with hypertension. So we have resources here for people. Um, if you're living in Georgia, we have the Claxton Community Free Clinic where you can go and get your BP checked um, and also receive care free of charge if you do not have insurance. Um, we have, as I had mentioned, blood pressure checking stations in pharmacies, in stores like the Walmart and Kroger. And then if you want to learn more about how to prevent hypertension, you could call 800-CDC-INFO 
or you could also visit their website. Um, we have also local public health departments that help um, could check on the blood pressure and monitor it. Then we have nonprofit organizations like the Islamic Circle of North America who, that runs free clinics in some masajids and in Duluth that I'm aware of in Georgia. And they do clinics free, not only for hypertension, but for anyone that needs it for any ailment. They have um, different doctors from pediatricians to cardiologists that um, run the free clinic. And usually I think it's 10.30 in the morning to 1.30 in the afternoon on Saturdays. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, this is the time. If you have questions, feel free. And again, we, we apologize for starting later than usual. And I try to make it as quick and brief so that we do not take more than an hour of your time. Thank you so much. And these are resources that you could contact to get more information about um, how to control hypertension or prevent hypertension. Thank you. Wow, that was amazing, Dr. Rahmatul Muhammad. Thank you so, so much. You know, this, this lecture, sisters, tie in very nicely with our stress lecture. And Dr. Rahmatul said that one of the reasons uh, why we would have high blood pressure is because we are not managing stress. The beautiful thing about Women's Health First is that we're bringing practical information to you and amazing resources like Dr. Ramatu Muhammad, who's actually on the board now of Women's Health First. And we truly, truly appreciate the information that you have brought us. Um, this is time now, sisters, if you have any questions, this is Um Zamzam speaking. If you have any questions for Dr. Ramatu, um, I truly, truly appreciate it. We do have a comment in the chat and uh, Sister Hawa Umar says, thank you, Dr. Ramatu. That was very enlightening. That was very enlightening, alhamdulillah. So, <clears throat> okay, here's another question from uh, Aisha Usman. A lot of physicians tend to wanna to stay on medications once you start, is that normal? So I guess the question is, um, once you're on medications, uh, do you always have to stay on medications? So this is a yes and no answer for me. So um, it depends. We believe that your physician that is managing the high blood pressure knows best on how they want to manage the blood pressure. And if taking medication keeps you on a normal blood pressure, but doesn't dips you down to low blood pressure, that means you still need to keep taking the medication. Because some people would go like, but I have been controlled for two years, but what is your reading? Is your reading still at a normal level? Then that means the medication is what is helping you stay on that normal level. If you stop it, your blood pressure is gonna go up because it has some effects it's having on your body. That is why the blood pressure is at that level. But once you start dip, dipping low, that means medication you're taking are overworking. And that means that your, your blood pressure is way better than um, probably how you, you were when you started the, the, the management. So in this case, the doctor would start tailing off the medications or reduce like if you're on multi-drug therapy, which is a lot of the norms when you're on, uh, when you have hypertension, you may not be on one medication. 
So they may take one off or reduce one and see how you're, and keep checking the blood pressure to see how it's working. So having a normal blood pressure on medication does, doesn't mean you, do, you need to stop taking the medication. It just means that the medication you're taking and the proportion you're taking it is working. I hope I answered the question. Yes. <laughs> I was satisfied with um, the answer I gave you, but I do believe that um, whoever prescribed it knows why you need to stay on it. And then just the fact that people feel, but I have been on 180, uh, 120 over 80 for the past one year. Why am I still on medication? Yes, you're on medication because that means the medication you're taking is working and keeping you at a range that would not cause end organ damage. It doesn't mean that you need to stop taking medications. Okay. All right. So then we have another question. How do you manually check blood pressure without a machine, especially for those who are in the third world? Okay. So the thing is the way you can check blood pressure. When I say manual, I'm talking about the machines that are not electronic. So we have what is called a spigno manometer. Um, I wish I had put up a picture of, but um, it's a mercury in glass kind of um, device that has, um, so um, as I was saying, um, so there's a device called a spigno manometer that is used and is a mercury in glass um, device that you put the cuff and then you pump it, you manually pump it, and then you put a stethoscope on the arteries um, right below the elbow or at the elbow joint, and that is where you would hear. So the person taking it would hear what we call the different reading. So, so you hear the first bump, that would be the first reading. And then when it muffles out, that is gonna be the diastolic. So that is how we manually measure because I have used that several times in Africa. But here um, in third world countries, we have the wrist electronic one, we have the, the arm electronic um, BP apparatus. So apart from those two, um, what, what I know is that a sphygmomanometer is available in the most remote areas from my experience. Um, there is really, I, I, I can't say that there's any health clinic or health center that has it. Another thing, unfortunately, as maybe we would say, um, as much as I say everywhere, there would still be remote, remote places that have no access to anything that would not have it. Unfortunately, they would have um, probably have to live with the sequelae of chronic blood pressure, which could also means people having stroke because they never knew. And as I had mentioned, hypertension is a silent, silent killer because um, it doesn't, you know, when you have fever, your temperature goes up. When you have hypertension, unless you're in crisis or it's like fulminant, like in preeclampsia or eclampsia, you may not ever know that you have hypertension. That is why um, regular checking of the blood pressure is essential and um, also doing going for physicals if you're in a place that that is offered is essential. At any opportunity, if you're at a doctor's office, that is part of the screening protocols. They would just check your blood pressure. And then if there's any red flags, they would mention it to you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I have a question. Okay. Uh, basically, as a how, why is it that Black people respond differently to some of the high blood pressure medications than white people? Yes, this is a very technical question but I will try my best. I think a cardiologist might be better. And he was on, I, I had my brother-in-law who is a 
consultant cardiologist. I was like, yes, back up. <laughs> but I think he's gone already. But anyway, um, there are some medications and there is research that has proved that there are some medications that work better in the African population than, than um, the white population. And um, the way we respond to stress could also be um, one of the factors um, that would make some medications work better on us than, than the typical white people. The black man has gone through a lot. Slavery has predisposed us to a lot of stresses in the past. And then our biological makeup, we have a little bit of um, differences in how we respond to things. And then sometimes our lifestyle too, um, or maybe our diet from what like people eat what they're used to eating or what they saw their parents eating. So all this could predispose um, the black or African race to hypertension, probably more than the whites. But then um, I know based on my practice when I was um, working actively as a doctor, um, there are some medications like Africans do very well on diuretics as a control measure of their high blood pressure, probably because our diets are high in salt and we, we, we tend to have maybe a hypervolemic kind of, um, hypervolemic means like um, our blood yeah, fluid, more fluid. So um, having that type of um, predisposition causing us to have hypertension. So, but um, that is what I would say, but I, do, I am not, uh, should I say, as uh, 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 consultant cardiologist. So I can't add more to it because I, I will not misinform you, but I can, it is something I can always get back on. Okay, uh, we have a question in the chat here. Um, <clears throat> uh, what, is, what is the difference between using, I, I guess the blood pressure cuff and also being able to count um, your, um, Let's see, what, what did she say? It's, uh, it's very important that she, we understand who asking the question and then it will be able to answer technical or just lay answers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this, Thank this, you. This, this actually wasn't a question. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I as a um, question. <laughs> yes. So, so um, I would just go ahead and, or people could open the chat and also read it. So, um, Sister Fawcett Ajao just helped to tell us if you do not have the sphig, how to check the blood pressure. That is by placing your fingers on the pulse and um, counting. She said, first you have to locate the artery below the thumb on the right side of the wrist. That is the way we check for pulse here. And then um, place two fingers there and count how many times you feel your heartbeat over a 15 second period. Then multiply that count by four, you get the resting heart rate. So yeah, that's to check normal pulse. Then she said, when you're checking pulse by hand, you're looking for more than just a number. You're also checking a regular rhythm, um, which indicates strong pulse can help. So I don't think this still tells you what your blood pressure is. It just um, helps you to be able, because there are a lot of characteristics of checking the pulse, which whether it is pounding, you can feel it if you're, but, but for a first timer, they could not decipher what I'm feeling today. Is this normal or not? You have to have experienced hands. So like I have checked maybe a hundred or more people's pulse and I can tell, oh, this feels pounding or this feels weak or this feels um, whether there is an abnormal rhythm. But I can't, I do not think this would give you a number of checking 
what the level of the blood pressure is, no. This will not tell you the level of the blood pressure, whether it's high or low. It just tells you the indirectly, like what's going on in the heart. So if, if, if you're having a lot of um, beats, that's what we call tachycardia, which means increased heart rate. If it's less than the average, then it could be what we call bradycardia, which is low um, pulse rate or low heart rate. And then um, if it is pounding, that is probably an indication that there might be blood pressure. But for a first timer checking his pounding pulse, he would not be able to know if this is a pounding pulse vis-a-vis -a, -vis a, a, a normal rhythm pulse. Yes, so um, just to clear that, that is just a way to check an indirect integrity of what's going on in the heart, but not um, blood pressure level. And thank you so much for your input, Fawcett. Okay. Yeah, any more questions? Yes. Um, and, and, and I understand that you're an allopath, you're a doctor. And <laughs> this question leans more to naturopathy, don't so, worry, I, I, I am a parent and I'm a, I, okay. I do actually do a lot of um, in-home self. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, because you, you have parents that have used all these remedies in the past and, um, and, and or still use it. So go ahead, toss the question over. Let's see whether I could answer. <laughs> Habitual buttercup, black seed. Yes. Black seed and hypertension, Nigella sativa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so the thing is, um, for the audience here that are not Muslims, I would like to explain a little further because I'm a Muslim. So black seed oil was mentioned by the prophet Muhammad as um, a medicine that cures everything apart from death. So um, when taken the right way, it could be a treatment for any type of disease. So with that and with the fact that I'm a believing Muslim, I will tell you that I can take it with the belief that it's gonna help lower my blood pressure. But I can't tell you how it's supposed to be taken because I don't know how it's supposed to be taken. But sister, if you know, you can educate us. But all I know is that if you are a Muslim, you would probably have heard that um, black seed oil cures every ailment apart from death. So, uh, and that is not the only thing. There are other things. Um, if you want us to go naturopath, even though that's not my expertise, but I will tell you that I know using cinnamon reduces the blood pressure. Using hibiscus, um, hibiscus flower, or depending on where you're from, uh, my local dialect call it zobo leaves, also reduces blood pressure. Um, what else again? Obviously reducing salt intake. If you cut down on salt, you're cutting down on blood pressure. Um, what other nice? I think those are the ones leafy I know. Green. What? Leafy greens, berries. Oh, 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 yeah. So, so leafy greens. What they do is Banana. more of the the diet aspect. Where if you're eating a good diet, which should include include um, leafy greens, you right. could have um, a, a control of your blood pressure. Yes, the fish. Uh, mm. But you know what, uh, Sister Rachmato, mm. um, actually, fishes black sea uh, is in the Bible. Okay, okay. I remember I'm learning today. correctly, I believe it would be Isaiah 28, if I'm not mistaken. In the book of Isaiah, verse 28, bitches is in the Bible. So black seed is in the Bible itself, is in the Jew. So <laughs> it's not only an Islamic uh, remedy, it's, it's a remedy that is also mentioned 
the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Twice said, the Bible, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sister, I see two more questions from Aisha Usman and Ibrahim Bukisu Ibrahim. Yes, okay. Okay, let's see here. Um, how often should one check their blood pressure and how long should it be elevated before one uh, before one can get concerned as sister Aisha Usman? Okay, so um, how often? Yes. If you have a BP apparatus at home and you saw a high level, it's recommended for you to check in early in the morning when you wake up and then before you go to bed and take a record. And if you can take several readings and see it is persistently high, you need to tell your primary care doctor that this is the reading I'm getting and this is the timing. Um, how long should it be elevated before one should get concerned? Um, for this is a tricky question because it depends on the level you're getting. So if you're getting based on, let me quickly go back to this slide that mentions the, so that I could use it to answer the question. So for this slide that mentions what is stage one hypertension, what is stage two hypertension and what is hypertensive crisis. So once, because some people may present in hypertensive crisis for the first time, so if for the first time a blood pressure is 180 over 120 or higher with or without symptoms, then it means um, if it doesn't have symptoms, then one needs to call their doctor immediately and go to the doctor's office and say, this is what I'm getting. And as I had mentioned, if it was for the hypertensive urgency, you wait five minutes, five minutes literally and check again. And if it is still that, then you call your doctor. And then if you're having other symptoms, you know that you need to go to the emergency room. But if you're on this um, stage two hypertension, which is 140 or higher, over 190 or higher, then also in this case, it is not urgent. It is not an emergency, but you need to call your doctor's office and schedule an appointment and tell them that I need to come in at your next available um, opening because this is the readings I'm getting. And if I was getting 140 over 90, I could check give and take within a week and see if it is persistent. Because if you can remember diagnose, um, diagnosis of blood pressure has to be persistent. The term persistent is inside the meaning of what we call high blood pressure. So if, if you had gotten 140 over, eight, uh, over 90, and then you check again tomorrow night because you have an in-home speak or you went to the store and checked it, and um, you now are getting 130 over 80, then you can wait a week and check again. And if you're going back to 140 over 90, then you know that you're ranging between that um, stage one and stage two, then you can call your doctor's office and schedule an appointment to go in and tell them. But the key thing is record. Record the time you took it and the date you took it. And I would say if somebody is having a four, 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury of um, high blood pressure, not, not it is a hard and fast rule, but I would go see my doctor within two weeks of getting so this. That means it is high. Um, if it is on the stage one level at 130 over 80 to, 100 and, um, to 139 over 89, then I would check and check and go back and see my doctor. But as I had said, these are things that could wait for an appointment, could wait for you to call um, and then monitor and take readings. Because when you go to your doctor, all he can see is 
the reading while you are in his office. So if you have a record of what you have been seeing, it would help your doctor make a decision whether he wants to go ahead and place you on a medication um, um, protocol or not. So um, that is my own take on answering that question. The level of the blood pressure counts, how long you've been seeing it counts. And um, so that would determine what you need to do. I hope I answered you well. Yes. Yeah. And we're, we're going into injury time now. One minute to the end of the presentation. Let us, do you want to ask um, just one more and I'll just give her a brief answer. Okay. Um, does physical cardio exercise raise your blood pressure as it does with the pulse? That's by Aisha Usman. So um, it shouldn't raise your blood pressure. Um, maybe systolic could go high just because your blood your heart and your pulse is pumping. But over time, you would get a controlled, sustained level of high blood pressure. It's just like the body's response, like in fright, when somebody suddenly sees something that he's running for his life, his pulse will go up and his systolic will shoot up because some stress hormones were involved. But you see, physical cardio are things that uh, you do at your own pace. You you go into it without uh, with knowing I'm about to physically exercise. So um, it will make the, the systolic go up a bit, but not necessarily shoot up your um, diastolic. And what happens is with time, just because of that physical cardio, your blood pressure would gradually drop down. Um, there's another, just briefly, I know we have one minute. Um, um, another question, Sister Bible Kisu, if you could quickly say it and then we'll have to leave now. <laughs> okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Sister Bilkisu wants to know, um, let's see, where is it? Uh, does the uh, manual analog blood pressure reading machine give a more accurate reading than the digital electronic, or electronic version? Okay, so um, in this one, I will just quickly make reference that when you're using the manual analog based on the way I was taught was what we used to use and they say, oh, it gives the most precise reading, but it is user objective. So it is subjective, sorry. So the person listening, depending on how much um, or how many blood pressures they've heard and their experience, checking blood pressure could determine what they pick up. So you, if you have like a new student or a student learning to, to listen to what a blood pressure reading is, you could get, um, they, could, they could start counting at the first beat um, and then they could now not take the diastolic till they completely stop hearing everything. And then that gives you a wider range instead of um, probably as it starts muffling to disappear as the diastolic reading. And um, the digital ones give you a close um, close to normal. Sometimes I would say normal, it depends. There's a lot of um, differences when it comes to whether you're using the wrist cuff or whether you're using the arm. Usually um, the common site that is best to use to check blood pressure is checking the arm reading of the blood pressure. But you could check even on the thighs, on the shin, um, people check different places depending on access. So if somebody is an, a bilateral amputee, you would have to use his leg to check the blood pressure or somebody was involved in an accident that damaged um, the upper, upper limbs, you would have to use the leg or maybe, you know, so there are several places we could try the cough, but um, the manual one usually is said to give you a good one. Um, the best reading, if the person that is taking it 
knows how to take it or has taken it so many times and has become an expert or expertise, uh, an expert in, in taking the reading. The digital ones give you close to normal. But for now, um, with the society I am in, um, in the United States, I would say that is your, even the hospitals hardly check manual. They would, they would do the electronic first and repeat it again. If it's decided, then they will try to confirm it manually using a stethoscope. So, and um, I, I don't know, sister. Sister, you are the host. It's too old. Yes. Thank you so very much, <laughs> Dr. Mohammed. That's a wonderful presentation. If sister Don would like to give me one minute to just, uh, now I don't have a question, but uh, it is uh, a pleasure. It's a great, great presentation. If anything, I'm taking uh, home with me today, not just the valuable resources you share, especially clean, 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 free clinics and uh, resources in our community, but also you also mentioned ICNA, which is an Islamic uh, in North of America who has a free clinic. That's a great, great, great resources. Thank you so very much, Dr. Mohammed. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm taking that with me. And also another thing that you mentioned that is a very interesting is that the myth. Yes, the myth that says hypertension cannot be prevented. You know what? High blood pressure cannot be prevented. Well. Yes, the fact you share with us is yes, of course it can be prevented and you spend a lot of your, your, your research data on the, the, the slide that really talk about the preventive measures, including what? Reducing, reducing the, you know, um, yeah, how you call it? Your health style, the, the health, the, the, the lifestyle, your lifestyle, absolutely thank you. And also one particular important thing that we can do, reducing, the sodium intake, our salt, our salt in the table in our home. Please sisters, please my audience. This is the takeoff for today's presentation. If anything, unless you disagree with me, that's what I'm taking home with me today. And thank you so very much, Dr. Mohammed. We really appreciate you. And as Wumuzanzan says, yes, we are very fortunate to have you on the board. You know, we cannot have better than a clinician and being here physicians and being in our board. Thank you so very much. Don, your closing arguments, and then we call off for today. Thank you. Well, I, again, I thank Dr. Muhammad for this amazing presentation. We've not only gained knowledge, but we have uh, practical steps that we can take to change our lifestyles for the better so that we can reduce stress and hypertension in our life. And then third, we also have some places that we can go to um, some resources that we can uh, partake of in order to get our health check. I do want to mention, sisters, just one last thing. I looked up the price of a wrist cuff to measure your blood pressure, and they're fairly cheap online. They're $15 a piece if you need to use them so that we can actually journal our high blood pressure like Dr. Muhammad uh, mentioned. And I think like if you walk into the store, it'll probably be about $30 a piece. So um, inshallah, Dr. Muhammad, thank you. Thank you so much for that amazing presentation. I've learned some things that I can actually apply to my life and uh, hope for the better for myself and my family. Uh, may Allah reward you. Thank you. I mean, I mean, and thank you for having me. Well, that concludes our session for today.